today's message, we're going to be talking about kind of the meaning of Christmas and uh, kind of like Alice, uh, I was, I feel like I did not think about what Christmas is about until like three days ago when I started to work on this message. Um, you know, it just feels like, you know, Christmas to me was about everything other than what we know Christmas is actually about, right? I was about, you know, Christmas trees and holiday cards and travel plans or not travel plans, you know, and about sort of things and a million things to, to be doing. Um, you know, I feel like a lot of times that's what Christmas ends up being for a lot of us, you know, is just um, sometimes more stress, you know, um, I don't know if you're from a family that has or a circle of friends that's a, like a big gift giving tradition. I feel like gift giving to me is a very uh, tiring, <laughs> exhausting thing because like I don't know what people want. I don't know what I want. either. So, um, you know, so I feel like all of that can sometimes I feel like, you know, good things can sometimes detract us away from, you know, what Christmas is really about. And so what I wanted to share today for us, I think it's a really simple message. Um, I hope it's a really simple message for us today. It's just to kind of remind us and to give us an opportunity to just rest and just remember kind of what the heart of Christmas is about. Like, what, what is it that we're celebrating? You know, what is it that gives us hope and gives us joy in this season? And I hope as we walk through this classic Christmas story, we're going to go through like the classic Christmas story. Um, I hope that, you know, that, um, that you and I would be able to be encouraged. Um, I feel like kind of like what Alice is saying, like lately, I don't know if it's just the mood or if it's just the people I hang out with. I feel like I'm around a lot of people who are very broken and very dejected and very discouraged. Um, you know, I was like watching this YouTube video the other day where it's like titled something like, does anyone else feel the like everything is bad or something? <laughs> so that lines, you know, it's the comments, and I was just like, yes, yes, yes. You know, and it was just talking about this kind of, I don't know, this sort of like worldwide sense of doom and gloom, you know, that has arisen from maybe just the chaos of the political situation, or you know, just our awareness of sort of global things, climate change, things like that, you know, that there is just this collective sense of doom and gloom and this collective sense of helplessness to be like, you know what? Like, I don't know if we can really do anything about it. Like, we're trying, but what can we really do? And on top of that, of course, you know, our increasingly connected age where, you know, everyone sees everything going on. So everything bad that happens, we know about it, you know, and it can be hard to hope in anything, you know? And I think for a lot of people for Christmas, it's just, let's just try to distract ourselves. <laughs> let's just try to pretend like, Bad things don't exist, you know, until for a little for a little while before we have to go back to it. And, and that's not what Christmas is about. Um, that's not what we as Christians have. Um, we have a very tangible hope, um, not just metaphors, not just good vibes, you know, but we have a very, very tangible hope. You know, we have hope as a person personified, um, who, who incarnated, who became flesh, um, and we have that to talk about today. And, and so I hope for us today, you know, that um, as we get into this message that we can quiet down and we can really just think about um, this hope that we have that is in Christ Jesus born for us today. So um, Luke 2, um, it's been a while since I did this. <laughs> um, Luke 2, we're going to read this together. Um, if you have your Bibles, you want to read, you know, you can do that as well, but it's going to be up here on the screen. Um, the classic Christmas story. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when 
Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went up to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So first, I want to kind of note a few things kind of when we, well, before we get into that. So the setting of the story, right, is Caesar Augustus. This is like the first big Roman emperor, um, the most powerful man at the time. This is Rome at, you know, beginning its kind of ascension at the time. Um, so this is literally the most important man in the world, in the known world at the time. So he, you know, like many em emperors, you know, when they have an empire, they're like, let's count up all the people. <laughs> so we can know, you know, for organization's sake, but also for, you know, ego's sake, you know, how many people do we rule over or whatever, right? And so, you know, how bureaucracy works, it, you know, it gets spread to all the local governors and then the governors are like, okay, let's do the census and they have to carry out all that stuff. And, you know, apparently this is, um, uh, uh, you know, a census that Quirinius, governor of Syria, carried out. And I don't do this often, but I wanted to just take like a side point um, because there are historical problems sometimes that occur. And I don't know if sometimes you've heard of these kinds of things, but I thought it'd be interesting to kind of walk through one of the little bits just for just just so that you guys just know a little bit more about some of these things. But this is a, actually a very problematic historical passage. I don't know if you guys knew this. And this is kind of one of the things that people oftentimes bring up when they like, you know, are like, I don't know if this record is really real or not. And one of the main issues, um, as a side point, is that Quirinius governed from AD 6 to 7. Matthew's account describes Jesus born during the reign of Herod the Great, and Herod the Great died in 4 BC. So I don't know if all y'all logic people can kind of put together those things. That sounds like a contradiction, right? That sounds like, when was Jesus born? How is this going to work? Um, that's sometimes something bring, people bring up to be like, hmm, you know, Maybe he wasn't. Maybe this is inaccurate. Um, and, you know, I want to just bring up, you know, there are several ways people have kind of brought up, several legitimate ways people brought up, like, hey, you know, this is a way that this is possible to be the case. And the one I favor, this is not the only one, um, is a solution by F.F. Bruce. Um, and, he, and he says that actually the translation here potentially is inaccurate um, from Greek. So the, the crossed outline is what it actually says um, in your translations. It says this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and this is some technical Greek stuff that I don't want to get into, but he argues that it can, it can be validly translated as this was the first registration before Quirinius was governor of Syria. So Luke is referring to, remember Quirinius, remember that guy who ruled, you know, kind of like how we refer to, remember Biden or remember this guy or whatever, remember uh, Hogan, the governor of, 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 Mary, of Maryland, right, um, before and I remember that guy, well, this is before that happens. You know, there was a census that happened. Just a little tidbit for us, <laughs> you know, just uh, be aware of. Right? But one of the, what I want to draw attention to in this story um, is just the ordinary, normal setting of the situation. Uh, I want to draw attention to so the picture on the left is Bethlehem in the 1800s. And the picture on the right is perhaps a kind of cave um, that Jesus was likely to be born in. Um, so again, not some wooden shed, but likely a cave because that's where they stored the animals. And I want to just draw attention to how common, how poor, and how ordinary, how lowly in some ways this birth happens. 
Um, Jesus was not born into a rich family. He was not born into a privileged family by any means. He was born into an ordinary working class family, sort of just, just a normal family, just like all of us, just trying to just trying to make things happen, you know, just trying to scrap by. And here they are, you know, you know, they, they are under this sort of whimsical influence of some power above them that says, now you have to go and, you know, take a census somewhere and they're pregnant. And I'm sure they do not want to be traveling when they're pregnant um, and they have to go. Can you imagine that, you know, when you're pregnant, you have to go and you're forced kind of by the whim of some power above you to go to some other place where it's not your home. Um, where you have to be registered. Um, so that's kind of the situation. I want to just draw attention to how relatable that is, um, how just like lots of people's situations, that is, um, people who aren't privileged, people who kind of are sort of, you know, uh, subject to the whims of those around them. Um, I think about, I read that verse, you know, that they were traveling when she was with child and it just gave me some anxiety because <laughs> I remember my wife was recently pregnant um, and I can't imagine, you know, with, with, with us, you know, being pregnant, we, we have the privilege to be able to be like, okay, what's the hospital she's going to be born in? You know, which doctor we want them to be born, you know, with, you know, what's the driving distance? You know, what's the backup plan? Have we packed up all the emergency kits? Do you know what I mean? And so, like, it would not be a no, it would be a, it would be a no-go for us if it was like, you know, Andrea's like, oh, you know, she's pregnant. Here's a Home Depot. So, you know, we'll just find the storage room and try to try to get this done. I'd be like, oh my God, that is, that is horrible. But that's the kind of situation that they found themselves in, right? This very, like, because of their sort of, um, I don't know, their vulnerable kind of state. Um, they, were, they were put in a situation where they had to just make do with what they had. I want to draw you to attention that God, that our God elected to come in such a fashion. I think everything in this story is intentional, right? I mean, God, you know, we know God, right? Sovereign, he, he could have chosen to come in all kinds of other ways, you know, but he came, came to cho- he came, he chose to came in such a way, I think, to send a message about how God chose to be among the poorest of the poor, how he chose to relate to those who didn't have privilege, to those who are human to those who are just trying to do the best with the situation. Have you thought about even the fact that why God came to, God wanted to be born in the first place at all? Like why even have a pregnancy? You know, why even make this poor girl go through this thing? <laughs> you know, why even, you know, be in, a, be in a womb and have to go through the laborious process of, you know, giving birth and, you know, why, why have to do all of that, you know? Um, the Gospels of John and Mark, interestingly, don't even have the birth narrative. They just have Jesus appearing out of nowhere, you know, and just, you know, here's the son of God and he's doing miracles and it's awesome. You know, God could have totally done that. God have just like been like, all right, you know, we're going to skip all that, you know, unnecessary messy parts. But I find it so fascinating now that I have a baby that Jesus came as a baby. I find it like amazingly mind blowing, um, let me tell you about my, some of my experiences with babies, okay? I, I do have some experience now, right? I find it just, okay, this picture on the left was Emma when she was a few weeks old, probably. Fragile, like very, very fragile, right? Like, I mean, we all know this, but like holding, you know, like little like, you know, reptilian kind of creature here, you know? And it's just like, you know, if you're not careful with your hand, her head just flops, 
you know, you're just like, wow, like this thing is fragile. Like, you know, every other day I'm like, did I accidentally break her arm? Did I accidentally break her neck? Okay, good. I didn't, you know, we're, we're, we're hanging in there. You know, recently she started rolling and the problem with her is that she can only roll onto her tummy, but she does not know how to roll back. Okay, apparently that is a very hard thing for babies to be able to roll, like things we probably take for granted. You know, she, she can roll onto her tummy, but she can't roll on her back. So what she does in the middle of the night is she rolls under her tummy, then she screams because she doesn't want to be on her tummy for whatever reason. And she screams until we come get her and flip her back, in which she promptly just flips again. <laughs> well, like, this is such a helpless being. Like, you would not survive, like, three minutes in the wild. Like, you would not survive three minutes in the wild, okay? You would just, you would just perish. And think about the fact that God, again, elected to come to be such a fragile being, to not skip any of that, you know, like just fast forward any of that, but to be like that um, and to put himself in the care of a 14-year-old mother, um, like, I don't know, <laughs> to entrust himself in that kind of a way. I think that blows my mind as I read the Christmas narrative today. And I think all of that is intentional from God to describe how he wants to identify with us. As it says in John 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it wouldn't be the word became flesh and dwelt among us if he just skipped all the hard parts. He did not. He lived with us, among us, in the same plane. He was flesh. He was bone at some point. The sovereign God was helpless at some point. He was, he was human in every way possible. And so I think that's really important for us to think about as we, as we think about this message of Christmas as hope. Because I think essential to God's ability to give us hope was the fact that he can identify with us, that he knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to feel like you can't do much about your situation. The humanity of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus, thus is validation that God sees and recognizes and is in the thick of it with us. When we talk about serving, when we talk about going on missions, you know, one of the first things we train people to do is what not to do. And what not to do is when you go and serve a community, especially a community that is less privileged than you, you do not go into the community and act like you can fix things. You do not go into a community and start telling people what to do, right? When you want to serve a people, any people, you know, this is for missions, for, for whatever, you know, the first step to service is always humbling yourself. It's always learning and understanding, letting them teach you first what their life is like and not trying to go in there in some, some sort of insulting way where you feel like you're better than them. You know what you know better. So we know that to right to serve um, means that we need to humble ourselves first. How much more amazing is it that God, who I think, you know, the, the son of God, who, who really is the only person that really had the right to just come down and just be like, all right, this is how you guys do things, you know? how he chose to humble himself first, how he chose to learn what it was like to be human first um, before he, you know, before he did all of that. I don't know. I feel like that's an amazing thought for me. Um, I think that demonstrates a lot of God's love and who he is, the humanity of Christ. Let's continue on in our passage, in our story. And in the same region, now it shifts to a different part of the story. There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, 
Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And it goes on to say, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I find, again, so interesting in this, kind of, in this kind of setting of, again, how God chose to sort of piece together his arrival, right? Um, we see that, and while Christ's birth was humble and ordinary, it was certainly not unannounced, right? There were angels, there was this glorious picture, but it's so interesting because this glorious picture of heaven, right? This most amazing sight, uh, seeing angels, seeing kind of an insight to heaven, you know, praising God, a worship service in heaven in some ways, right? is given to, again, the most humble and ordinary people. Um, the messengers that are chosen to receive this vision and to share this vision, right, the first evangelists in some sense, are shepherds. And God could have chosen a more lowly, a more socially outcast group of people, again, um, to share this message. Shepherds were not liked, um, mostly probably because they smelt, because they are around sheep, and animals smell, and sheep are dumb, you know, and so that's kind of how it is. You know, and it was a lonely, difficult job that most people would not undertake unless they really, they had no other choice. Um, so this is, this is the kind of the people that, again, God chooses to sort of identify with and chooses to sort of share and give this picture of the glorious side of, of heaven. And again, I think this is an illustration, again, of the gospel and of God's intents. If he wanted to, could have been born in a palace. Could have done that. Could have just been born a Pharisee family. Would have been great. <laughs> but he chose, right, to, to, to cast in his lot with the social outcasts. I think it encapsulates the message of Christmas, that Christmas is not for those who are cleaned up. That Christmas is not for those who have no need for a savior. Christmas is for the dirty. Christmas is for the unworthy. Christmas is for people who don't feel like they deserve the glory and the goodness and the beauty of God, but God gives it anyways, right? That is the message of the gospel, and that is physically what is happening here, right, in this glorious picture given to these humble messengers. We go on to see what is this message? What is this glorious message, right, that they're given? Well, they're, they're told that, yeah, there's a Savior born for you, um, but I find very interesting in this praise part of the angels, Glory to the God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And I find peace a very apt word to describe the message of the gospel, to describe exactly what Jesus came to do, was to give peace. I know in community group, y'all have been, I think somebody, some community group, I think my community group recently did a word study on peace, right? Is that correct? I don't know, okay, yeah. Um, so I was thinking about that, right? And I was thinking again, just peace is one of those words that is not translated well in English. So when we think of the word peace, we just think absence of violence, right? Like absence of conflict, you know, peace, like nobody's killing each other. Okay, peace, right? But it's interesting because peace shalom, right? In Hebrew has, you know, different semantic kind of range. Um, and it has more of this, I think, context is more of this meaning of complete or whole. So let me give you these two um, illustrations of how, you know, shalom can be used flexibly in a way that we wouldn't use the word peace. This is from the Bible Project, right? So here's one example on the left. It says, make an altar of shalom stone. So 
here is the idea of making it out of complete stones, like un not uncracked, you know, not, not cracked, not like, you know, chipped or anything like that, you know, complete whole stones, right? You wouldn't say make an altar out of peace stone, right? Um, and here's another instance in Job, you know, it says, you will know your tents are shalom when nothing is missing. Your tents are shalom in the sense that your tents are whole, complete, nothing is missing, okay? It's everything is how it ought to be. And so shalom really, as, you know, the Bible Project talks about, you know, when you do this word study, really has this connotation of things being how they ought to be, right? Things functioning in right order, you know, when your house, the, the, the water's running through it, pipes are not frozen. I don't, I, I'm sorry, Alice, I keep bringing that up. I'm hope you don't feel like I'm rubbing it in here, you know. Um, you know, when things are how they ought to be, when your pipes freeze, that is not shalom, right? It's definitely not shalom. It's very far from shalom. But this is interesting that Christ describes, you know, the angels describe, you know, peace on earth to whom he's pleased, right? This is what Jesus came. His gospel is of peace, is of completeness and of wholeness. And what do you do when things are not complete and when they're not whole? Well, you have to restore it, right? You have to fix it, right? You have to, you know, find the missing if there's missing. You know, if it's cracked, you got to glue it back together, right? You got to make things back in order. And this is the message of the gospel, guys. It's so holistic. It applies to every single aspect of our lives. In some ways, what Jesus has come to do, right? Not in some ways, definitely what Jesus has come to do has to give wholeness to our lives, to our world, um, to all the things that we see broken in our lives, to all the things that we see broken in our families, to all the things we see broken in our world. And believe me, there are a lot of those things. <laughs> I'm sure you guys know there are a lot of dysfunctional things. I've lately been very conscious of my brokenness and the brokenness of my family. I don't know if it's because I recently had a baby. Again, you know, it just triggers a lot of things. And one of those things is just, I've heard that there is a saying that like when you start to become a parent, you start to realize the trauma and the brokenness of your own family. And things I used to just be okay with, this is just like, this is just normal. This is just how my family was. My mom stayed with us for a month and a half. And boy, like, it was rough, you know? And I realized like, I love my mother, right? She is an amazing woman. She did the best that she could, like pretty much as a single parent raising me. Um, but she, you know, she emotionally is very shut off, right? She emotionally is just, Emotions are not a thing for her. And talking about emotions are not a thing for her, right? And, you know, and she would blow up at me at times. You know, I'd have to kind of talk to her as the son sometimes. Like, hey, what are you feeling? Like, hey, why did you just blow up at me? You know, oh, okay, you're not happy because grandma's, you know, has cancer and she's in the hospital. Okay, we can talk about that. You know? <laughs> um, and it was so weird for me, you know, as a child to have to do that to my parents. I'm like, you should be the one doing this for me. You know what I mean? But to realize, you know, for 20 some years when they parented me that they never taught me how to do those things. And I had to learn basically at church <laughs> in college. Um, sorry for all the people that I had to learn that through, you know. Um, I don't know. I just find that, you know, I've just been realizing, man, my family is so broken. Um, my family is so broken, not just because of the divorce, right? But just, just the sin, I see it, you know, the insecurity, the, the hurts, you know, and I see that transmitting into my life and in the ways that I'm tempted to do the same things my mom did to me, to my wife, and to my daughter someday. And, you know, these days I've just been feeling like, God, I, like, I feel so unworthy. Like, I feel so broken, 
you know, I just don't feel, I don't feel like, you know, if I ever felt like I could only come to you when I'm worthy, well, I'm not coming to you, Lord, because I just feel so bad all the time about myself. I find hope when I read the gospel, when I read about Shalom, that Jesus didn't just come to just, you know, wave a wand over me and say, here's a get out of free, get out of hell, you know, jail card, you know, thing. But Jesus came to give peace to my life. He came to show me what real living is. He came to save me from my sins, not just from the, the name of my sins, but from the reality of my sins. He came to give peace to my family and to me. And that is a peace, guys, I need so desperately as I can feel. One of the things I want to just bring up, I want to just walk through as we, if we were to go through the Gospels, how we see Christ giving that peace. I want to just walk through that us. You know, if you continue to read through Luke, you would see how Jesus came to bring about peace. Well, you would see first Jesus walking among the people of Israel, healing the cripple, opening the eyes of the blind, driving out demons. You would see him bring physical peace. That is physical restoration to those who are physically broken and incomplete. We would also see Jesus teaching the people of Israel about what true righteousness looks like. We would see his heart for correcting the lives of the morally bankrupt. The people he surrounded himself were greedy tax collectors, um, the, the promiscuous, the unclean, according to Jewish society, um, everyone who was on the outcasts of the morally outcast in some sense. Those were the people that he spent time with talking to. We would see his passion, not just to leave them where they were, but to teach them what true righteousness would look like and to believe in them that they actually could be able to live that out. And we would see them challenging the fake morality and the righteousness of the Pharisees who seemed whole on the outside, but inwardly were broken. In all this, we would see Jesus bringing moral peace, giving moral wholeness by instructions to those who basically have destroyed their lives. And then we would see Jesus dying. Right? being put to death by the Romans, the Jews, the whole world, rejected by those he ultimately came to give peace. We would see him hated, scorned, outcasts by the world, and we would see him dying without a friend. And as he was dying, he would say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They are so broken, Father. They have no idea, even as they are crucifying me, what they are doing. And in his death, as the scriptures predicted, he would atone for the wrongs, the sins, the misdeeds, the brokenness and sinfulness of all humanity, we would thus see him bring justifying peace, making whole and restoring our broken name and our broken reputation before God, our broken standing that made us no longer acceptable before God and before others. And finally, we would see Jesus being raised from the dead, resurrected to life again, ascending once again to the Father's, the, to the Father's side in heaven having accomplished all this. And that's where he is today, right? Um, as scripture said, all authority has been given to him. All power has been given to him. And then it's interesting because Jesus then commissions his disciples. And he says, therefore, go. Bring about my peace. You know, teach people what I've taught them. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, of the Holy Spirit. Bring about this peace in this life that I have brought you. And that's, what we're, that's where we are today, Right? We are part of his mission for peace. And one day, I don't have it up here, we will see Christ coming back again. We'll see him coming back, this time not as an infant, not as helpless baby, but this time as a king in all his power and majesty, riding the victorious war horse 
with glory blowing people's minds, not just hidden to the world. And as Revelation says, Revelation will see him this time to vindicate and bring judgment over all sin and to establish permanent peace. Yeah, he's going to break the oppression. <laughs> he's going to break the injustice. He's going to hold accountable everything that has been done in this world. And he's going to remake the world in new heavens and a new earth until everything is shalom and everything is peace. And yeah, we don't see that today. I do not see that today. But that is coming. That is coming, guys. And that is what we have to hope for in Christmas. Not just some good vibes. Not just, oh, look, it's cute baby Jesus. Not just a past message even, but a message that is ongoing today about how Jesus brought peace and is bringing peace today and will bring peace today. I think we need to remember that for ourselves, right? That our hope is not in us. It's not in our society. It's not in our government. It's not in our ability to fix things because I think, I, I, I don't know how we could hope in that. But our hope is in God who will one day finish his work, right? And who will bring about true and lasting peace. We have one last section of the story to read. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, just like it was foretold. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that, was, that had been told to them concerning this child. And when, and when, who, oh, sorry. And all who heard of it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. That's the ending of our story. Short last point. I want to just point out that the Christmas story ends with worship, right? As the shepherds receive the gospel of good news, as they remember the hope and the peace, and they realize the peace that Jesus is bringing, what do they do? They go and they see it for themselves, and they go away worshiping and praising. There it is. Okay, you guys are wondering, where was that? Did you just make that up? Is that not in the Bible? No, there it is. The, Jesus, the shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all they had heard and seen. I want to just draw attention to those people's responses. Mary treasuring up these things. You know how Mary didn't just let go of it. Was like that was cool. You know, I guess I have the Savior now. You know, but she treasured them. How she would hold on to them, perhaps when things were rough for her again. How she would remember and she would and she would use them to anchor her. Remember when Jesus was born, this is what was said about him. You know, she would ponder, reflect, and worship throughout her life over these things. And of course, the shepherds, right, who returned glorifying and praising God. So I want to just remind us today, you know, let's remember this message of hope that Jesus brings to give peace to our brokenness and to our whole world. And let us worship, guys. Let us worship with all of our hearts. Let us enjoy and let us praise and let us glorify God for what he has done, right? What he is doing and what he will do someday. Let's pray. God, we just thank you, Lord. Uh, yeah, I thank you that our hope is not in ourselves. And I thank you, God, that we have the sure and steadfast anchor of hope. God, I just... I don't know. I'm just amazed, Lord, that, that you love us so much, Lord, that you, that you came down into our lives and you bring peace. And you are bringing peace, Lord, even if it feels like it's taking forever. 
You are bringing healing, God, to our brokenness, to our sins. You're bringing healing to our families. You're bringing healing to our society. Lord, I just, I think we need that reminder. We just need to remind ourselves, Lord, that you have come to give us peace. May we treasure that, God. May we hold on to that this week. And may we live as agents of your peace. Not as people who are just hopeless and just trying to scrape by, but as people who have confident joy in you. Jesus' name we pray. Amen.